it makes having an open mind very challenging whenever there's not enough information to really do that. Like, I mean, you know, like there's a lot to be afraid about. There's a lot to be worried about. There's a lot to be concerned about. There's a lot to really lose hope over. There's, there's a lot of crazy going on, but even if you want to try and give them a chance, there's, they're, they're not doing their part and, and trying to actually meet us halfway. Like you say, give us a chance. That's fine. Give me a reason to give you a chance besides you just saying, give me a chance. And that, that's just not, it's not happening right now. Hey there, and welcome to this episode of In Sickness and in Health, a podcast about our bodies and issues at the intersections with chronic illness, disability, healthcare, and mortality. My name is Kara Gale. I am not a doctor. I'm not a health policy expert. I'm just a person and a patient and a podcaster who needs to talk about this stuff more so I don't actually lose my mind. This is the third episode in a series of episodes dealing with the results of the 2016 presidential election in the United States, which is something that has a lot of implications for all Americans and the world, uh, but especially for people who live with illness and disability. As we've discussed in the previous two episodes, there's there's a lot at stake here. And uh, one of the first things that the new regime, uh, that the incoming regime has prioritized and is already working on is repealing the Affordable Care Act, uh, which would leave anywhere from 22 up to 30 million Americans without health insurance. Um, and would impact all Americans seeking health care in various ways and for various reasons. Um, so we talk a little bit more about that in this episode. I talk again to Christopher Snyder, regular guest on the podcast. The conversation that we had in the last episode, we had recorded in late November, um, a few weeks after the election, and then this conversation was recorded last week. So we talk more about some of the things that have happened in the interim. We talk some more about how we're coping and what we're looking to for much needed self-care and escapism. And uh, we talk about uh, information and the weaponization of information as it pertains to digital privacy and uh, what might happen with our uh, new government, which is pretty scary stuff. As I am recording this, it is January 19th, about 5 p.m. in the afternoon. Uh, tomorrow at like 10, or I, don't, I actually have no idea when it starts. I don't actually plan to watch. Uh, Donald Trump is going to be, <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying these words, Donald Trump is going to be sworn in and inaugurated as our 44th president. I, you know what, I don't even know why I tried to do numbers there. I'm really bad with numbers. Anyway, he's going to be our president, uh, which is, um, I've had what, December, January. So I've had about two months to get used to this and I, uh, it still feels as surreal as it did on November 9th, the day after the election. Uh, Donald Trump's going to be our president. And um, what we know now 
uh, versus what we knew on November 9th makes it even more surreal and unlikely that he would be our president. And yet, here we are. So that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> um, yikes. Anyway, I talked about this at the end of our last episode, uh, something that I got to see this past weekend, which was really galvanizing and comforting and really recharged my battery a lot around this stuff is the Nasty Women exhibition, uh, which was the, the flagship exhibit was held at a place called the Knockdown Center in Queens, which is an old door factory that has been repurposed as an art center. Very cool place. And the Nasty Women exhibition was uh, organized shortly after the election in response to the election. Uh, they had such an incredible response that they wound up setting up exhibitions um, all over the world, which is really cool. But at the one, the main one in Queens, they had uh, work from over 700 artists, um, all available for less than $100 for purchase, and all proceeds uh, to benefit Planned Parenthood. And on their opening night, in the first three hours, they raised almost $35,000, uh, which is amazing. Um, unfortunately, by the time I got there on Saturday, not a lot of artwork was left, but there was lots of other really fantastic things going on. I got to connect with some other activists doing really wonderful and important work. I'm really looking forward to learning more from them and... Um, yeah, it was just really great to get uh, in a place with tons of other people who are as pissed off and scared and ready to fight as I am. Uh, that was important and, and really uh, helped me feel so much better since all of the conversations that I've had in the last two months have been increasingly, haha, we are so fucked. And you'll hear a lot of that in this conversation. Um, because it's really hard to uh, imagine that we're not. Um, if you can in any way, I highly recommend getting involved uh, locally with people who are equally as pissed off and scared as you are. Uh, because it can be really healing and really powerful and uh, the resistance is real. I saw a slice of it on Saturday and it is spectacular. Um, I'm really looking forward to this coming Saturday, uh, Saturday, January 21st, the day after the inauguration, uh, which is when the women's marches are happening. Flagship march is happening in DC and uh, hundreds of sister marches have been set up all around the country and some cities around the world as well. Uh, I hope to make it to the march in New York City. I'm really, really looking forward to that. I think it's equally, I think all of the marches are incredibly important. And, you know, D.C. obviously has uh, some symbolic value, but so does New York City because Donald Trump still intends to spend so much of his time there. His wife and youngest son will remain living there, at, at least as uh, last I heard. 
Um, so I think it's really important to show up and uh, make our voices heard and more importantly than anything else to be seen. Um, I think it's quite clear that appearances at this time are especially important because this is a man who trades on appearance and the appearance of, of power and the appearance of wealth and the appearance that he knows what the fuck he's doing when he clearly does not. Um, I think that it's easy for him to say that he won with an overwhelming majority, even though that's obviously not true, given that he lost the popular vote by nearly three million votes. Um, it's going to be really hard for them to claim that uh, there is not a huge portion of this country that absolutely does not support his administration or what it does or what it does in their name. And this isn't necessarily a protest, um, but with some of the, the smaller protests, they've been able to claim like, oh, those are paid protesters. But when hundreds of thousands of people all over the world get out in the streets and say, we are here and we are watching you. And we do not stand behind you taking away basic human rights. Um, I think that's really super important. So um, I hope to see you out there this Saturday. Uh, if you're unable to make it to the marches because of illness or disability, um, there are some other ways that you can participate if you uh, are interested. Unfortunately, um, marching with me, the campaign that I mentioned in our last episode is now closed. Um, but there is also the Disability March, which you can sign up for at disabilitymarch.com. It is a way for people to participate remotely. So you can do it from the comfort of your own bed or couch or wherever, or the hospital if you're stuck there. Uh, individuals who want to participate can follow the instructions on their page and they'll, they'll upload a post with your name and picture and some text about why uh, this march is important to you. And uh, yeah, so if you want to participate and you can't actually physically make it out there, it's another great way to uh, get yourself represented in this. I wanted to make sure that I got all of these episodes out before the inauguration because I personally feel like I didn't make enough noise before the election about how deeply I feel that uh, this man is fully unequipped to be our president. Um, that he's a con artist and a criminal and of course a sexual predator. Um, so it was really important to me that I put this out before the inauguration for that reason, but also because as of tomorrow, like, I honestly have no idea what is going to happen to this country. I am pretty scared, uh, for obviously for a lot of reasons, but more than anything else, the people that he's chosen to surround himself with and to appoint to his cabinet are the most dangerous combination of incompetence and greed and just <laughs> cluelessness about how government actually runs and why we have 
the agencies and programs that we do. Um, this week was full of confirmation hearings, which is something that we haven't yet gone into on the podcast, really. Um, the confirmation hearings for the people that Donald Trump is appointing to his cabinet and various uh, federal agencies. Um, the people that he has selected have really, really, really grave implications for people with disabilities and illness. Um, yesterday, and the, and I think the day before, I, honestly, the days are just blurring together, so I don't know what happened when, but um, we've seen hearings for his, hearings for his, uh, for his pick to head up the Department of Health and Human Services, which oversees administration of the Affordable Care Act and things that relate to health and human services. Uh, so a lot of services for people with disabilities um, fall under that umbrella. Um, healthcare obviously falls under that umbrella. The FDA, some very questionable things going on with uh, his pick for that. Um, ben Carson uh, is his pick to head up HUD, which is Housing and Urban Development. Um, we already have an affordable housing crisis in this country, um, and especially in New York City, where Donald Trump is from, which he has helped to fuel by developing uh, more and more luxury condos that normal humans cannot afford. Um, Accessible and affordable housing is a huge issue that uh, Ben Carson clearly knows nothing about. And uh, Betsy DeVos, who is another billionaire that he's picked to be his education secretary, um, has never once attended a public school and uh, ha demonstrated no understanding of the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, which requires public schools to provide free and appropriate education to all students with disabilities. Um, uh, Jeff Sessions, who is Donald Trump's pick to uh, be Attorney General, who is the chief lawyer of the United States, who is supposed to, on behalf of the Justice Department, prosecute entities for not following the law, laws like the Americans with Disabilities Act, etc. Um, you know, these are, these are scary, scary people. And um, I don't, this is, I'm sure we'll talk more about it in upcoming episodes. Um, I just wanted to acknowledge that on, on this one before we get into it. But so, like I was saying, I honestly don't know what's going to happen to this country. You know, we're going to have a lot of people, quote unquote, in charge who have no idea what they're doing. And um, I don't know if you've ever worked for somebody who has no idea what they're doing. Uh, it's a disaster. I have so many stories that I could regale you with about uh, management failures. Uh, I will refrain from that. Um, but I just... I, I guess I just wanted to like get one one last burst of episodes in in case I can't put any more episodes out, um, which I know sounds really like alarmist and extreme, but you know, um, if I don't if I can't have access to healthcare, I don't know if I'm gonna survive. Um, 
I think there are really grave implications for censorship and net neutrality and access to information and all sorts of stuff that that uh, could very drastically change under this administration. I also think that like, I mean, I definitely had this feeling after the election that any any podcast episodes that I was listening to that were recorded before the election just seemed so out of place and bizarre and inappropriate afterward. Um, and I don't, I don't know if that's going to be the same after tomorrow, same situation after tomorrow. Um, you know, really who the fuck knows? <laughs> LOL. Ay, ay, ay. Um, so on this eve of Donald Trump's inauguration. Um, I just wanted to to say, hey, hope you're doing okay. Um, Lend my solidarity and support. And uh, give you some of that information I mentioned before about the disability march. And, um, yeah, so as always, you'll find links and uh, some other stuff that we talk about in this episode on the episode page for this. Uh, You can find that, you can find a link to that in the show notes, or you can find it at insicknesspod.com. Find all the rest of our episodes there, resources, all sorts of stuff, um, you can find a link to our Patreon there. You can become a Patreon supporter for as little as $1 a month and help support the show. Thank you to everyone who is currently a Patreon supporter. It is a huge help with the expenses that I've racked up doing this show while I've been unable to work. Uh, so thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, whether you've supported the show through Patreon, or you've made a PayPal donation, or you've just rated and reviewed us on iTunes, which is another way that you can support the show. Much gratitude for that. Yeah, you can find Christopher at JustTalkingPodcast.com. On Twitter, I am underscore Spartacus. Uh, We talk about his new endeavors in crocheting and you can find his crochet instagram at a hook in hand and um yeah good luck out there i hope uh hope to see you either out in the streets or online supporting the marches on saturday and uh in a previous episode i talked about how I recently rewatched all seven seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer um, because it was really cathartic to watch a woman beat up bad guys. Um, definitely, I still stand behind that statement. Um, I think it's like in the very last episode, or maybe it's like close to the last episode. The whole last season, she keeps making these really, these really melodramatic and inspirational speeches to get everyone all hyped before they go into battle. And it feels like that right now. Um, But she says, I am beyond tired. I am beyond scared. I'm standing on the mouth of hell and it's gonna swallow me whole. It'll choke on me. We're not ready. They're not ready. 
They think we're going to wait for the end to come, like we always do. Well, I'm done waiting. They want an apocalypse? Oh, we'll give them one. From now on, we won't just face our worst fears. We will seek them out. There's only one thing on this earth more powerful than evil, and that's us. Any questions? Um, so, like, you know, the violent parts. <laughs> Not to be taken literally, but I think the spirit of that speech is really powerful and is something that I've been thinking a lot about in the last few days. So yeah, uh, be safe out there and uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. towards the end of November. Thanksgiving had happened. Everybody survived. Uh, in the time, it's now mid-January. So in the time that has elapsed, we've had Christmas, we've had New Year's, we've had um, some developments. <laughs> the problem our- with this conversation is that like stuff is like happening literally as we're talking. I know. That's why I didn't put out the conversation that we had in November, because I was just like, every time I was like, oh, maybe I'll put it out this week, something else bananas would happen and it just like wouldn't seem appropriate or like wouldn't I would have to make too many caveats in the intro or explain too much stuff in the intro. And now, like, almost two months has elapsed. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the, the only caveat is. We recorded this on X. I published it on Y. Mm-hmm. Everything that has happened since then is, you know, subject to, to change, obviously. And you just have to accept the fact that if, like, if this is not a daily podcast or even an hourly podcast, that you can't keep up with the news. And that's just, I mean, that's a general fact of life, but especially right. as things are happening so quick because the outgoing administration is trying to, like, you know, secure as much as they can, be it data or, you know, people's rights or, um, you know, or, those, uh, those pesky little things. Give me like those things. I mean, like investigations are apparently just now launching from, from the Department of Justice and stuff like that. They're trying to do as much as they can before inauguration because once um, Donald Trump officially becomes our next president, you know, it's not just, you know, all the ambassadors across the world that have to resign their posts immediately. It's like mm-hmm. a whole bunch of stuff is going to stop. And it's kind of crazy to think that, you know, there's so much that can still happen in, the, in these last few days from the Obama administration perspective, but also from the incoming Trump administration perspective, because you have all these hearings that are happening. And I have been following them on Twitter mostly because I <laughs> so I, I, I was watching this is going to tie back into our initial conversation about how I can't turn off the politics feed on social media. And I don't know how to do that. Um mm-hmm. I started watching some of the Jeff Sessions stuff and I saw that he had his entire family behind him and his grandkids are running around and he's like picking them up and reading his statement while he's in it, while he's while he's has one of his grandkids on his lap and stuff like that. It's like, oh, dude, man. you know, and you know, it's, it's air quote, it's, it's, you know, kind of the, the air quote politics. It's as people would probably perceive it. It's grandstanding. It's all kinds of pandering. It's just really, really gross and disgusting. Um, but also, like, this dude has a very public voting record, and he has a very public record of, of things that he's said and done in the past, and that stuff hasn't changed. And maybe he's been a little more discreet about some of his beliefs, but his voting record still is what it is. And this dude does not seem like the kind of person who you want to be 
the attorney for the country. Like he, it's just, it's not, he's not going to be the person who's going to be fighting for equal rights as mandated by Congress. And it, it, things may change as Congress starts to take away rights and who knows what's going to happen. And it, it just, uh, that actually that who knows what's going to happen is sort of the, the phrase that's going to be kind of, uh, is, is going to be very important as these next few days unfold. But, you know, like, even though we don't know if, like, officially which of Trump's nominees are going to be approved, it'll probably be all of them, unfortunately, but, um, like, you know, Congress is already doing stuff. Like, last night, there's, like, 1 a.m. Eastern time, they've already mm-hmm. started the process to repeal, to repeal the Affordable Care Act, and all of a sudden, all of my, you know, friends with pre-existing conditions, including me, including my wife, were all like, okay, this is, you know, before it was real, and now it's, like, super real, and, and yeah. while... And while my wife has a job and, you know, she has insurance and we're okay with that, she's also a federal employee in a, in a, in a portion of the CDC that may or may not have all of its funding come through once the new budget comes through because of the new administration's priorities. And that's a very real conversation that we've had to have multiple times already, trying to figure out what we're going to do. And as, as you know, I... I don't know. It, it, it's all very, very scary because I am still freelancing. Like I am not a full-time employee anywhere. And that puts a lot of pressure on her and a lot of pressure on me to figure some stuff out. And we have to move as quickly as possible, but to, to try and, you know, secure everything that we, that we have. And this, you know, it, it's, it, it presents some very, very frightening conversations that I don't think a lot of people understand are actually happening around this country right now. Yeah. <sighs> Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, That's the state I, of things. I'm right there with you. I mean, I'm covered on Medicaid thanks to my state's expansion of Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act because I am currently dis- like disabled and unable to work. So you're um, good for the next year? Maybe. We'll see. I mean, I, the way things are shaking out um, seems like, I don't know. It, it's all so complicated because people don't really realize the full like breadth of the Affordable Care Act and like just how much stuff is involved and and how many different kind of arms there are to it, Um, which is like part of the reason it's, you know, kind of an unwieldy and and, uh, not working great. But um, a, a big part of it was the expansion of Medicaid. And uh, since America hates poor people, that seems to be like one of the first things that might actually be on the chopping block. Well, so. Hang on, let's be clear. America hates poor people. America hates women. America hates minorities. Oh, yeah. America, hates America hates sick everybody. people. America yeah. hates pretty much everybody unless, you know, I'm going to say it, unless you're, you know, an old rich white dude. Mm-hmm. And, and even then, if you're or too old fetus. for that. Don't forget well, the fetuses. And, and the fetus, yeah. So you, you, there are only two states. But then if you're too old, then you're in, in your, and you're taking advantage of Social Security. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that that's also a problem. So I actually don't know what to – I mean, some of the stuff is said in jest, but also some of it is also very much true because women yeah. for the longest time and for as long as I've been woke have not been receiving the respect they deserve. Like giving birth is a really big deal, and mm-hmm. that alone should be grounds to really kind of give women whatever they need. Right. Um, but, and actually, I don't know. prior to the Affordable Care Act, did you know that pregnancy was a pre-existing condition? I learned that during the debate of, about the Affordable Care Act, which, b- again, boggles my mind, the fact that mm-hmm. 
that those types of things, you know, and, and then we can start talking about, you know, uh, um, not medical leave, but um, uh, uh, maternity leave and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Just, I don't understand what, what the goal is. Actually, I, mean, I do. It's just, it's, it's because I don't like it. I want it to go away, but there's never been a solution put forth. And it's, just, it, it, I don't know. It, it, like, like once you're in power, you want to stay in power and, and that's great. But for the people out there, like, just because it's not affecting you directly, do you really think that there's nobody around you that's going to be impacted by this? Like, do you right. not have neighbors that are women? I don't. And I think a lot of know. people don't realize that it does affect them directly. Like, if you have a uterus, you're going to be fucked, <laughs> you know? And I, I mean that in a figurative way, but possibly also a literal one. Um, you know, like... Uh, they're talking about quote unquote defunding Planned Parenthood, um, which is a whole other like complicated thing that is separate from the Affordable Care Act, but also tangentially related. And then there's a whole birth control clause in the Affordable Care Act. But Planned Parenthood is the nation's largest provider of reproductive health care. And in a lot of places, health care period. Like yeah. that's the only healthcare that people get. So if they block Medicaid funds from, um, if they block patients who are on Medicaid and Medicare from accessing services at Planned Parenthood, like, ah, oh, God, ah, oh. <laughs> like I said, before we started recording, I didn't get much sleep last night. Cause I was up kind of watching the internet taken what was happening uh in the united states senate um so i'm i'm just like tired and angry at this point because like ah and i'm not feeling particularly articulate about it but yeah um, i've been trying to I'm, I'm still working on the the whole concept of i don't know how to pull away from politics social media because the stuff is going to happen with or without my engagement one way or another Right. Um, so I've started to build out a politics Twitter list and my plan is to, um, at some point start to unfollow some of these people, but then keep them on my list so that if I need to, I can pull up my politics feed and then scroll through and become super depressed. But then I can close that portion of Twitter and still get the rest of the information that I get off of Twitter, um, and still get whatever perceived value there is out of that. Um, I haven't quite gotten to the unfollowing people portion of it yet. Cause I'm still adding people as like retweets and stuff come through, but um, I, I feel like that's going to be my first step into trying to establish some boundaries and how I engage with this stuff. Because like I said, I mean, like, you know, the news is not going anywhere and mm-hmm. I feel that I especially need to stay informed about a lot of this stuff. Um, but that, that right now that's, that's the best uh, progress that I can sort of define as far as my, is it's sort of an addiction, but it's also kind of a, a punishment for, you know, the. I actually don't even sure punishment is the right word, but that is my current state of things as far as social media is concerned. I I know I need to distance myself from it. I'm not sure how to do it safely without kind of removing all that information that I need to be an informed patient and an an informed citizen. So that's, that's kind of where I am right now. I think that's a great strategy or it sounds like a good one. Um, I generally am pretty good at, at like, um, since Sandy Hook happened and I spent that entire day on my couch watching cable news and just feeling awful and just like I, I it occurred to me on that day like what the fuck am I doing like 
nothing we're getting no new information for hours at a time like me sitting here and watching cnn is like not helping anyone (laughs) you know um so since then i've been pretty good about being able to like step away and say like this thing happened and me taking time for myself uh away from it isn't going to make it un like it's still going to be there when I get back. Um, and by that time, they might actually have real information instead of just all the speculation. But when it comes to the healthcare stuff, um, because I do have such a vested interest in, um, you know, uh, healthcare, public health, all of that stuff. Obviously, I do a podcast about it. Obviously, I have a human body, uh, you know, so like this kind of stuff is is the one thing that's like especially difficult for me to walk away from. And the other thing, the reason that I wound up staying up so late, I didn't mean to, but um, I saw a lot of people saying like, oh, they repealed the Affordable Care Act. We're all fucked. And like, that's not actually true yet. Um, so I did spend kind of a lot of time trying to figure out exactly what did happen, which basically, um, there were certain proposals to safeguard some of the provisions of the Affordable Care Act, things like the pre-existing condition clause, uh, staying on your parents' insurance until you're 26 and, uh, the coverage for contraception, um, which are all things that pull extremely favorably and that like the people say those are the things we want to keep um so there were certain proposals to like safeguard that even in the event of a repeal and that's what was voted down last night um it was just one one step in a very long process so i I was just trying to figure out like what exactly was happening and then trying to share that information a bit Um, you know, cause like the, the last thing that we need is everyone panicking over the wrong information. Um, because it's just another distraction from what is really going on. Like we need to, I think, keep a level head about this, um, and try and because if I, I mean, I know I personally can get so overwhelmed and just be like, oh, well, we're all fucked. So you know, I guess I'll just crawl into a hole and die now, Um, you know, so just trying to be like, there's still time to be heard at least. And there's still time, maybe, I don't know, (laughs) to, to not uh, do this. But yeah, I'm, I'm I'm very curious to see what's going to happen once, um, like policy is going to start to be defined by all three branches of government mm-hmm. whenever the Republicans will likely have control of everything, including potentially the Supreme Court. And like, you know, repeal and replace is a great slogan and a great bumper sticker thing. Right. But whenever they have to actually look at the details and say, all right, if we want to try and provide health care to the majority of Americans who are, didn't previously have it or have signed up through the Affordable Care Act, if we want to find a different way to accomplish this, how do we do this? And once it's on right. them to officially do that, and there are potentially no political barriers to them accomplishing whatever they want, aside from getting everybody to fall in line, um, like what's what is that going to look like? Because I mean, if I guess you know, for, for the moment, we can try. Let's we can try and believe that they want they they have a they want to find a different way to provide healthcare to the entire country. Um, oh, you're so I mean, generous. 
Well, I know. So I mean, I mean, it's it's a it's a stretch right now, especially considering what people have said and done thus far. But assuming they actually want to do that, the, the challenge that I have in accepting that initial premise alone is that I haven't heard any major. Um, any any major proposals, and I'm not you know a healthcare policy wonk. I'm not deep in the weeds like like anybody a ProPublica or anything like that. I don't I'm, I'm not looking at any of the details from like Tom Price or any stuff like that. But like generally speaking, I feel like I'm, I'm moderately enough informed to know if there were some sort of major proposal that's being passed around that seems to have a lot of support that seems to be the foundation of what the Republican plan could be. I haven't seen anything like that. Nope. And and if there's nothing that's on the table to even be discussed, then all they're talking about is taking away and they're not actually talking about providing care to all of these people and providing access to all of these people. Mm-hmm. And it just it 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 really it, it it makes having an open mind very challenging whenever there's not enough information to really do that. Like, I mean, you know, like there's a lot to be afraid about. There's a lot to be worried about. There's a lot to be concerned about. There's a lot to really lose hope over, especially just as we watch our president-elect try and hold a press conference and he has his own staffers in there applauding whenever he starts, you know, insulting CNN and stuff like that. Like there's there's a lot of crazy going on. But even if you want to try and give them a chance, there's they're, they're not doing their part in, in trying to actually – meet us halfway like you say give us a chance that's fine give me a reason to give you a chance besides you just saying give me a chance and that that's just not it's not happening right now right and it's not like they didn't have oh i don't know six years to uh come up with a replacement plan um like their determination or the the gop's determination to destroy the affordable care act like this is not something new and they voted upwards of 60 times to repeal it under President Obama. Um, so, like, I'm, I'm kind of, what kind of, you, you, like I said, you're very generous in, like, trying to give them a chance. I, on the other hand, don't feel quite as generous because I'm like, you motherfuckers have had plenty of time to figure something out. And the fact that, like, you have nothing to suggest other than high-risk pools, which we've already done, which were already a disaster, um, I like, I'm sorry, but no, Uh, on Twitter earlier this week, or maybe last week, um, some guy who's, I guess is like a bioethicist or like, whatever, big deal. Um, He he (laughs) tweeted, uh, pre-ACA, you were what insurers, insure, like referring to somebody who has uh, like a whole host of chronic issues. Pre-ACA, you were what insurers called a burning house, as in you can't buy insurance on a burning house. So I retweeted that and said, I guess Burning House is my 2017 aesthetic. Um, because, <laughs> like, I I definitely live in a burning house. And, you know, like, I, I'm i not a cost effect, like, the, when it comes to, like, talking about, like, the cost of healthcare or whatever, regardless of what's done about that, like, I'm not a cost effective person. And, like, I, I don't know. It just, it really freaks me out. Um, but... That got the song uh, Burning Down the House stuck in my head by the Talking Heads. And in it, he says, um, watch out, you might get what you're after, which has just been kind of like repeating in my head, thinking about Paul Ryan and all of his little buddies who have been so intent on repealing the Affordable Care Act. And like, they might actually get what they want finally. And it's like, it's going to be a disaster because if you don't, have something oh god ah sorry i just i just ah (laughs) how how do you spell that 
there's a lot of A's, <laughs> maybe some G's and H's in there, and some R's. Some frown face emojis too. Definitely some, and like the upside down emoji. That's yeah. mostly what I've been feeling is upside down emoji. Um, but I also tweeted that it feels like I'm just like laying face up in a guillotine and just waiting for that blade to fall and watching it fall in slow motion because I rely on healthcare to stay alive. <laughs> it's weird to like not talk about this stuff or try to avoid hyperbole whenever like people's lives are actually on the line with this stuff. Yeah. Never. I don't know. Like, you know, I, I'm in a, a more fortunate position than you are because because of what it takes to manage my disease versus what it takes to manage your disease and we also have access to you know insurance that is you know for the most part been able to cover all of our stuff and it's you know it's been affordable all all things considered so i'm in a slightly more privileged position than you and yet this is still very concerning to me too and to all my friends and it's just it's difficult to talk about the severity of this stuff without immediately jumping to the part where people's lives are literally at risk because of this stuff Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think that there's there is a challenge in trying to you know debate or discuss or even share thoughts about this whenever you can legitimately reach that conclusion of people's lives are at risk, and and, and that, that's I think to some people who don't necessarily have that perspective, it feels like an extreme leap, and I understand why they may mm-hmm. think that because they don't have that personal experience, and that's fine, more power to them, congratulations, your body works, but <laughs> but for the folks that do reach that conclusion, because it is a fair conclusion to reach. Like, how else are we supposed to talk about this stuff without, I mean, I mean, how do you talk about the importance of this stuff and avoid the part where without healthcare, you will be really, really sick or you could die? Yeah. I mean, again, I'm kind of at a place where, like, I don't give a fuck because without healthcare, I could die. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, I I also had a pretty interesting, um, and I'll I'll let the listeners interpret the word interesting however they like. Uh, interesting conversation at Christmas. Um, and it turns out that some people uh, just really don't care about other people's lives. <laughs> um, that like, that it does not bother them that people will die because of this. And, and in some cases, some people actually believe that like, some people should die, which is weird. Um, which I, I'm not saying that like everyone who is in favor of the, repealing the Affordable Care Act is one of those people, but it did kind of, I mean, it ties into the, the, the broader issues that are at stake with the Trump administration and uh, the cabinet that he's cobbling together and, and the questionable beliefs therein. Um, I... Like, I, I cannot keep calm. I, like, have no chill about this at all. Uh, and I, I don't know. I just... Did you see the the last um, Key and Peele uh, Obama anger translator sketch that just came out this last week? Uh, yeah. Okay. So there's uh, this high kick <laughs> that Keegan-Michael Key does. Uh, <laughs> Is that you right now? That is me. That has been me since November 8th. Like, Obama's just sitting there very, very calmly saying, like, if Trump succeeds, we all succeed. And then Luther, the anger translator, does this high kick. Is like, unless he actually succeeds in, like, the stuff that he promised to do, in which case, we are all fucked. Um, that's, <laughs> that's exactly where I am. That's where I have been. And I'm just having such a hard time, like, I don't know, man. Ah! 
So if that's your animated gif. Yeah, that's your animated gif. Mine is to is to Johnny Cochran from the People versus OJ Simpson from, from FX, where he's shaking his head. That that is currently me right now. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. It, it, it's, I don't know. The, you know, we, so if if we want to transition away from this for a little bit, we've been watching a lot of I Love Lucy on Hulu. I love I Love Lucy. So 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 it actually. <laughs> So actually, so we were watching Fuller House after we were watching some other stuff. We got to season two of Fuller House and in the middle of it somewhere they did a bit um, off of I Love Lucy. And I was questioning whether or not the, the target audience for Fuller House would actually get that reference. Like I, I, I'm vaguely familiar with I Love Lucy prior to us starting to watch it. Um, and I had an idea of, you know, like Lucy got some explaining to do and that kind of stuff. But I didn't really fully understand I Love Lucy. And, and if I didn't understand it, I wondered how many other people who either grew up on Full House and started watching Fuller House or who are younger and just appreciate Fuller House, if they even get this entire bit that these two characters were doing. And then my wife is like, well, you know about I Love Lucy, right? So actually, well, no, I've never really seen an episode. So then we watched... Um, we watched one where she was stepping on the grapes. We watched the one where she was doing the commercial and she got really drunk. And we watched the one where she was working at the chocolate factory. And then mm-hmm. from there, we just went back to the beginning and we've been watching whatever Hulu has uh, made available to us. I didn't it's even a- realize it's on Hulu. Oh, yeah. So it's not like every single episode, like season one skips around a little bit, but uh-huh. there's there's still a good number of, of episodes there. And even for black and white, and it's I mean, it's still pretty decent quality. The thing that I really appreciate, though, is that because of sort of like the limited scope of production, the camera is much more dynamic than your traditional sitcom today. Like the camera actually moves around because they don't have a lot of you know, resources to put multiple cameras up for multiple, sh- for, 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 for kind of simultaneous shots for editing purposes. Mm-hmm. So the camera will move around as these characters do. The takes are a lot longer and it's a little more kind of natural feeling, even though they do, you know, pause for laughter and stuff like that. It's still, it's a different kind of impressive from how I see things. But I'm also, I think I might've mentioned this before. I'm the kind of guy who really appreciates steady cam shots, just like in general, like in movies or in fight sequences and, and stuff like that. So I notice these types of things a little more than others. But the, the overall kind of scale of production, given that it's the 50s, is still really, really impressive. And the stuff is really funny. Like, they, they cover some of the same tropes that, that are covered today. But it's still kind of cool to, to see where some of the stuff had come from. And even then, like, I Love Lucy is playing off of earlier shows, too. I understand that. But, like, I, I, I know at the very least that Lucille Ball was and probably still is a very big deal. And it's kind of cool to see one, one perspective of that. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, it was, I mean, it, I Love Lucy was in syndication a lot uh, when we were kids, so that was kind of how I got turned on to it. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, like, I, I, that's really interesting about the, the cameras. Um, I'll have to go back and look at it because I was watching I Love Lucy before I had any sort of concept of, like, multicam and single cam and, you know, those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, I got caught up on five seasons of Doctor Who. I stopped watching it. Um, Can you explain that show to me? I know it's a big deal. And absolutely. like we're watching The Crown. So I know that like Matt Smith and his really long face, he, he used to be one of the doctors. Yeah. And, and yeah. from Jessica Jones actually, is also one of the doctors. But I don't know what this show is. Yeah. So that was actually why I started watching it again. Because uh, my brain sometimes has a hard time with accents. So like if I'm watching something British, I'll watch a bunch of British stuff at once because my brain is like primed for that accent. So I watched The Crown, which was fantastic. And uh, Matt Smith plays Prince, whoever the fuck the queen is married to. I don't know. Charles or Harry. 
No, Charles and Harry are are the are Charles is her son. Harry's her grandson. Rupert or, or Philip. Philip, that's the name. He's Prince Philip, uh, and he yeah. does a great job as Prince Philip. I was not a huge fan of him as the Doctor. So, Doctor Who is a uh, BBC sci-fi series that. Uh, first debuted actually in 1963, I want to say, and actually ran from 63 to the late 80s. And in order to keep the show on the air for that long, they had to keep replacing the main character, who is the Doctor. His name is not Doctor Who. His name is the Doctor. Now, the Doctor is an alien. He is something called a Time Lord, and he comes from a planet called Gallifrey. Um, and you'll often see this blue police box with him. That's called the TARDIS, which is an acronym for time and relative dimension in space. It's a spaceship. Um, this is time Lord technology. He like stole the TARDIS and escaped from the time Lords to like explore the universe. Um, but his TARDIS has a, it's so complicated. I could talk about this for nine hours. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, like there's there's a piece of technology in the TARDIS is called a chameleon circuit that allows it to blend in with its surroundings. But the chameleon circuit in the doctor's TARDIS is broken and it's stuck looking like a 1960s police box, which okay. isn't actually a phone booth, but is similar to a phone booth. And it's larger inside and it's a spaceship, but it can also travel uh, through dimensions and space so it's not just time travel they can go into the future the past or alternate dimensions or like the edges of the universe so they the the possibilities really are endless um like i said the show went off the air in the late 80s and then was rebooted in 2005 um and has been on continuously since then with several different doctors we are currently on the 12th Doctor. Uh, Matt Smith was the 11th Doctor, so he was the last one. And how, how they explain, you know, having different people play this role is that when the Doctor dies or is seriously injured, he's actually able to regenerate, but he regenerates as a completely different person or completely different Time Lord. Uh, he's still this... Like, it's so confusing. He's still the same person. So, like, there's certain personality traits that are the same, and he has his memories, but he looks totally different, and there's, like, new and different personality traits. So, for example, when... Right, so, hang on, hang on. So, let me get this straight. So, as far as production is concerned, they can go anywhere. They can go uh-huh. They can go any when, and, and the character that they're writing for as far as the doctor is concerned is largely the same as far as his memories are concerned. So they can reference stuff in the past for all the diehards, but they allow the actor to develop new traits and personality quirks for, Mm -hmm. for, for, for his or her own interest and and ability. And there's also a companion, right? Yeah. Or companions. Sometimes it's more than one person. So um, I didn't really watch the original doctor who much because uh, state television in Britain in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Not a big budget. Uh, not not the greatest looking show. It's a little hokey. But um, since its reincarnation, or its regeneration, if you will, in 2005, wow. uh, <laughs> um, there has been 
one, two, three, four. So we're on the fourth modern doctor. Um, Matt Smith was British. The new guy is actually Scottish. So like that was something that he remarked on when he regenerated and he started speaking and he's like, oh, wow, I'm Scottish. Now I can complain a lot more. Um, so he's like, <laughs> um, so like little things like that. But the companions are generally, at least in the re, re imagining, uh, generally a female. Um, sometimes their partners come along. Um, it's not a romantic relationship or it's not supposed to be, although some like weird things kind of happen throughout the show. Um, and yeah, so the, like this person just goes with the, the doctor on adventures. They save the universe. They save the world. Yada, yada, yada. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's also like incredibly emotionally intense or so, some seasons more than others. Um, and I realized that part of the reason that I stopped watching the show in the season that I did was that like, I was crying hysterically in every single episode. <laughs> just like, this is exhausting. Um, and I also like, wasn't a huge fan of Matt Smith as the doctor. Uh, I like the new guy though. He's pretty cool. The one thing I've seen of Matt Smith as doctor who, um, or as the doctor, excuse me. Um, I, it wasn't even him as the doctor. I think he was at some sort of like fan event, and this is something I saw naturally on Tumblr. Um, but there was some little girl who was asking about if if he would protect her from some monster or whatever that's from the Doctor Who universe. And, uh -huh. and his response was like, "Are you are you afraid of them?" And then she you know said yes. And like and you can see in the background, people are sort of like kind of saying awe and also kind of laughing a little bit because all oh, this little kid is afraid of this fictional thing. And he says, "Don't worry, I will I will I will protect you." And in the comments on the post, you can see people just really appreciating the fact that that he, Matt Smith, could understand that this little girl was all in on what was happening, and he had sort of a responsibility to be all in with her to assure her that things were going to be okay. And it's that, and that sort of speaks to I think more broadly how a lot of these actors really do embrace the characters that they play, and so mm -hmm. for, and, I, and I suppose maybe for better or for worse, depending on on your perspective on it, because like Keanu Reeves has had a long way to go before he became John Wick, and he oh had my a God, lot of things so he had to endure. Long, so but, long. <laughs> but for other people that you know like like robert downey jr he's clearly all in on, on being tony stark and iron man and, and you can see that kind of appreciation kind of goes both ways and that's really cool to see that that that, that these actors really understand what it means whenever they're taking on some of these more ambitious roles yeah and i mean especially with the doctor i mean as far as like pop culture icons the doctor's kind of like right up there with james bond at least in the uk yeah. um that it, it this is a, a a cultural institution you know so to to take on the role as uh, of the doctor is is like a really big deal i actually got to see him live with the current showrunner uh stephen moffat and his companion at the time karen gillen um at the apple store at soho in new york city i got some like uh pulled some strings and got some like front row seats to a live event that they did there, which was pretty fantastic. And I can't imagine like, I mean, it's a little bit different coming to the, cause they were like on a U.S. tour coming to the U S it's not as big of a deal here in the U S but still like a, among people that like watch Dr. Who and are into sci-fi, it seems like such a huge responsibility <laughs> to, yeah. um, 
to uh, take on this role that people are so attached to. Like people get attached to different doctors. Um, and I, I think that David Tennant, the actor who played the doctor before Matt Smith, it was just kind of universally beloved, um, myself included. I think he's a fantastic actor and he made a really great doctor. And he was on the show, I think, for three or four years. So I think it was hard for Matt Smith to come in after, like, t tough act to follow. Um, but yeah, no, he's he's good. I'd, I'd like to see him do more stuff that isn't Doctor Who. Okay. And this way, this is the same Stephen Moffat that is running Sherlock, right? I assume so. I, I actually haven't watched Sherlock. He also did oh, a dude. show. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. But... <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I uh, don't like Sherlock Holmes. Unpopular but do you like opinion. Benedict Cumberbatch? Not I'm not I don't see the I don't get it. Okay. I don't. I I also am like. I so hang on. But I know you have Netflix, so you can watch at least the first episode of the first season because that one is yeah. pretty true to one of the original um, Sherlock Holmes stories. If you have actually have tried reading some of that stuff, it's it's kind of kind of dense for me but um i do appreciate you know some of the kind of illusions that are kind of so relevant today given whenever that stuff was originally written but that first episode is still pretty good i think that'll give you a good taste of what you're in for if you do want to try and go all in the only challenge is that each episode is 90 minutes yeah. every season every season is only three episodes long but it's still oh, a pretty okay. decent investment as far as getting involved um, hmm. yeah i, 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 I mean i think that first episode is worth a go personally okay i'll, I'll consider it Okay. <laughs> uh because whenever people find out i like british tv they're always like oh my god you need to watch sherlock and i'm just like i don't care um, uh, if you want to talk british tv let's talk about the grand tour all right that's what uh, i'm all about i also hate <laughs> that <laughs> now hang on I, wait, no wait, hang on now, now do you hate like the overall kind of car porn kind of kind of television industry or do you not like jeremy clarkson because he's an oaf or what, what exactly do you not uh, it's like a combination of things like the car stuff i i I'm missing whatever part of my brain that people that gets people interested in cars. Like I, I do, I like painfully don't give a shit. <laughs> like, oh my God, why, why are we doing this? I drive a Prius. I don't care. Um, so like that part, that part of it doesn't necessarily appeal to me, although like whatever, you know? Um, yeah, the guys bother me a lot. Um, cause my boyfriend likes it, uh, and enjoys watching it. And I, I mean, especially the grand tour is the one they have on Amazon now, right? Yeah. That's the new one after Clarkson was sort of fired from the previous show. Right. And, and then they kept, and so then it's really funny cause I actually tried watching Top Gear after those three original hosts left. And it got really weird because like Matt LeBlanc was the most charismatic person on that show. And then like the main host that they wanted to have, they started to phase him out by the end of that season. Mm -hmm. and, and the new season that they're currently shooting doesn't have his name is Chris Evans. He's not on it anymore. Matt LeBlanc is the primary host now. So it's like Joey from Friends over in Britain <laughs> talking about, you know, how, how many pounds a car costs. It's, it's very, very, very yeah. weird. I mean, I, I've seen some of the older episodes. Um with like the original three guys that are now on the grand tour. Um, and like, sometimes they're fun. Like when they go on really wacky adventures, I, I enjoy that. Um, which I can't tell how much of the show is wacky adventure and how much of it is other stuff. Um, 
But I mean, if I'm, I've, I, there's so much other British television that's fantastic that has nothing to do with those ass clowns. Um, <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. To each their own. That's cool. What I did watch, uh, which is also uh, on Netflix, is Chewing Gum. Have you seen that? No. So this is a show that was produced by Channel 4 in the UK. It's fantastic. It's so funny. Um, like, I was laughing out loud, kind of crying a little bit funny. It's about... Uh, this girl who she's like 24 years old um i don't know it's just like young woman who uh, grew up with an extremely restrictive and religious immigrant mother um who's like trying to figure out sex and dating uh with very little information (laughs) um Mm. that's just it's really really funny i really enjoyed it a lot um I feel like we've offered people a lot of different options in case the current state of things has them worried about their health. I feel like we have to yeah. mention health after we've just diverted for about 15 minutes. Well, I think all of that, like, it's, it's equally as important to, you know, we talked about this last time, take some time away for yourself to uh, recharge and recover from internal screaming constantly. Or external. Uh, or external, as the case may be sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, but you've you've also taken up uh, crocheting. I have. Tell me about I, that. That's I mean, that's kind of all there is. Um, <laughs> I so my wife my wife knits. She also sews, but she's been knitting a lot over the past kind of year or so. And you know, like I, I go with her to the yarn store and I kind of help pick out colors and stuff like that. And it's kind of you know, it's not necessarily me like feeling I like I have to be supportive. Like I'm genuinely interested in some of this stuff and like they're all different sizes of yarns. And as a result, there are different needles that you want to use primarily. But if you use a different needle than is recommended, then that results in a different pattern. Like there are a lot of fascinating aspects to knitting. If you really kind of dig into it, you don't necessarily have to like, you know, do it. You can just sort of pay attention to what's happening around it. And it can actually be pretty fascinating. At least it is for me. Um, and over the past month or so, I've been thinking about trying to find, something to do to sort of separate myself from social media and not really think about all this, all that's going on in the world um, to sort of clear my head and help me focus my thoughts on, you know, ongoing projects and and ideas like the patient podcasting network that we talked about. Just like my my head is not really in the best place. I feel like, Um, Mm -hmm. and that's probably a bigger conversation for a trained professional, um, quite (laughs) frankly. Um, No offense, but I just, yeah, but I just, I, I, I don't, I don't feel like I'm in, in the best place internally right now. And, and I don't know what else to do about that, but I, I thought that giving my brain something to focus on, to really focus on might take away from it thinking about and me thinking about all these other things that are going on in the world externally or all these other things that are happening in my life that I can't necessarily make, you know, heads or tails out of. Um, so I thought about crochet because it's sort of a, a single, kind of motion thing mm-hmm. like because with with knitting there are lots of needles you can do the circular stuff or you can have like four or five needles happening all at the same time and there's a lot of things happening and and while i mean there are plenty of tutorials and books and stuff that can ease you into that kind of thing um at its peak it seems a lot more complicated and i don't want to get into this to like start an etsy store or anything i'm not trying to make anything super super creative whereas my wife is really good at this stuff and she's actually working on you know creating a she made a bunch of ear cozies and we and we gave them to um her mother-in-law who, who runs a 
a kind of a, a weird little novelty store in Huntsville to, to sell. And she's sold, I think all but two of them so far, like two, oh, like wow. eight out of 10 she sold, um, which is kind of cool. So now she's making scarves that are going to be a lot better than what they currently offer. I am a little biased, but the quality of what my wife is producing is, is pretty neat. And it's, it's cool to think that like she, you know, after doing a bunch of stuff that she found online where it'd be kind of illegal to sell that, she took what she learned as far as yarns and needles and gauges and all this other stuff. And they made her own pattern for an infinity scarf. And now that's going to be something that at some point will be sold if you're in Huntsville, which is pretty cool. Um, that is very cool. Yeah. But I, I don't want to go down that route, at least, at least not yet. And I don't plan to in the near future or potentially long-term future, but I want to have something to do. And I'd like to have something that I can point to and say, all right, with the time that I've spent, here's what I have created. So yeah. crocheting seemed like a natural fit because it's kind of, it's sort of like the cousin to knitting. We can both go to the same yarn store and we can talk about different color patterns or, or, or color selections and, and see what works for us. And um, yeah, I have one single crochet needle that I purchased so far. I probably will be okay with just that one. And we walked around a, a, the, our local yarn store that has like shelves and shelves of, of yarn, which is kind of intimidating to look at but once you oh, learn to best. look so it, it, it is actually pretty cool and then once you learn to to look for the specific sizes that you're looking for that actually does mm-hmm. narrow the options down significantly which is very very helpful um so i bought a, three different skeins of colors that i liked actually i bought two my wife bought one for me um and then i i bought a book is a crocheting the idiot's guide to crocheting we went to we actually went to a barnes and noble and looked at all of their crocheting books to see like which ones had had the pictures that would connect with with how my brain works um, mm-hmm. best, which was actually kind of a fascinating process of trying to figure out. All right, here are the basic stitches. Which one presents this information best to me, so that I can you know em- em- I can emulate it myself and I can you know reproduce these things. Um, so, Idiot's Guide was the one that worked best for me, and then I started working through with these different yarns, doing the single crochet and then the half double and the double and. Um, yeah, it's, you know, I'm not doing this stuff every night, but whenever I am working on this stuff, especially because it's something that I'm new at and I want to get it right, um, it's it's done a pretty good job of, of clearing my head so that I can focus on the task at hand. And then at, at some point you get into a pretty good routine, so then the motions become pretty natural and you're not really thinking about it too much, but I'm still largely focused on the task at hand rather than all these other things that are happening, you know, in and around me. Um, so it's, it, it, it is, it, it is an attempt at mindfulness. It's not a hundred percent working, but it's, I feel a little bit better than when I did before I started this stuff. And I have these really cool, like completed projects. They're, you know, small, I think the book called them like coasters or whatever, or, or washcloths. Like they're not big enough to be washcloths, but it's still like, here's a square of single crochet, you know, um, stitches together with this really cool looking green variegated yarn. And I can point to that and say, I did that. And then I did a half double in this black and red variegated stuff. And then I just finished my, my double crochet practice piece with this really cool orange. And, you know, the, the colors look really cool together. And now I get the next up in my book is combining colors. And it's kind of exciting to think that I can build upon these sort of fundamental kind of you know skills as far as crocheting is concerned. And then potentially try and tackle on more ambitious pieces or pieces. But, you know, I think the journey is actually more important for me right now than than the end mm-hmm. result i don't necessarily need to have some sort of you know final thing that i could you know wear like i'm not looking to make a hat that i could wear every day it would be kind of dope if i make one and that'd be awesome but i'm not in this to to create a bunch of stuff i'm in this for the process to hopefully clear my head and i don't know i mean i, I guess depending on how you know 
the rest of these confirmation hearings go and, and how these first hundred days go, I may end up creating an Etsy store because of how much stuff I am crocheting together. But for right now, at least, um, it, it's a good diversionary tactic. Yeah. And keeping your hands like busy, I, I have always found that to be really helpful and therapeutic because like I can't just watch something on TV like my hands need to be doing something and a lot mm -hmm. of times that winds up being my phone yeah and so I, I've been also trying to do similar things not necessarily crocheting although I do love to crochet but my joints don't so I have not been doing that but I've been um, I have this kind of like ongoing project of reorganizing our apartment like little bit by little bit and I started with the kitchen and already it looks fantastic. I created this nice little like coffee and tea station on my counter because that's primarily what I use my kitchen for. And so I just I'm trying to like rearrange our stuff and 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 downsize and just mm -hmm. optimize our apartment so that it is more so that like it's actually design for what we use it for you know instead of like I don't know hard to explain but that has helped a lot and then also I have been painting more which has also been very nice I've been doing more watercolors because that's that's something that's a challenge for me um watercolors are really challenging so I've been working on that and working on my technique with that and it's nice to have something for my hands to do but then also be creating like to create stuff I think is is very therapeutic um and to be able to say like look what I can do um yeah I mean there, also, is, there is something valuable in the final product I, I'm not sure I feel like I might have discounted like the overall so while I value the path I still do take pictures and share them on Instagram of my final completed stuff like it is there is something to you know hey I did make that yeah but it's just like, at least for, for right now, at least for me, I'm more interested in, in the process to getting there because like, just, just like you said, I too also fidget on the couch. Um, and this gives me something to do whenever I don't necessarily want to just like play around with like a random piece of string or something like that. Cause my hands have to be active. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if the end times do come now you have a helpful skill to keep you warm. So <laughs> there's that. The end times were here a week ago. Like we had freeze warnings. We had to drip our faucets and stuff because it oh, was super yeah. cold, but it didn't actually snow. And then today I'm wearing shorts and it's like 75 in my apartment with no yeah. heat actually on or anything like that. And it's, you know, like the South is a very strange place for a number of reasons, but <laughs> yeah, like we were freaking out because we were about to get four inches of snow and then we got a dusting and a little bit of ice and then now it's super warm and like, yeah, that was, we got that and snow I think that was snow. winter for us basically. Mm, well here's hoping we got that snow instead <laughs> and i like was not expecting it and woke up like why is everything hurting so badly what happened and then i like opened the blinds ah that would explain it um but apparently it's also very nice out here today although i have not left the house or looked out the window so i wouldn't know but i hear it's nice do you open windows whenever you have like if, if you can't like go outside are you a big window opener uh, sometimes it depends on like the season, like it's never going to be warm enough here in January. Well, who knows? Really? I, I shouldn't never say never, especially not in an age of, uh, global climate change, but, um, in the winter, it's generally not going to be warm enough, even like at its warmest for me to open a window. Um, and then like, I'll usually do it in the springtime or the fall if my allergies aren't too bad. 
Um, but I do at least open the blinds a lot because I prefer natural light to artificial light. But then also I'm extremely sensitive to light. So it's a balancing act. So sometimes right. I'll like be inside and have the blinds open and have be in like a nice bright room, but be doing so with my sunglasses on because I still like want to be bathed in light. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I have a separate Instagram account for crocheting stuff now. It's, it's very weird. Well, if people wanted to check that out, what is the handle? A hook in hand. Catch. Which is a whole, yeah. I So I actually went down the rabbit hole of like, hey, what are some good crocheting puns? And that returns some <laughs> Google search results, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I kind of scaled back on some of the more, it, a lot of them were kind of like you, but E-W-E based, which was uh-huh. like, all right, like, I'm not like a big yarn guy, but... Yeah. I don't know. Like, I didn't want to have like, you know, Chris crochets as the account. Like I felt like I could be a little bit clever with it. Um, but yeah, so I, cause, so, cause at first I was just posting all this stuff on my like personal Instagram feed. And then I realized first I realized that it wasn't necessarily breaking my online brand because all I do is post cat pictures. So crocheting mm-hmm. wouldn't be too far off. But then I realized that I don't know, it's a weird thing as far as identity, right? Because this is a thing that I'm into. So why shouldn't I share it? But if people are following me for a particular reason, do I separate that for the people that only care about this one little piece or do I keep going with it? Like, it's a weird thing whenever I'm just a person, this this is not like a corporate entity that has to worry like actually about a brand, but like, how do I, how far do I go down this rabbit hole about sharing my excitement of this new thing that I'm into? And then like, what does it matter if people don't like it? This is what I'm in. This is what I'm into right now. And people choose to follow me. It's an opt in thing. So what should it matter? But I don't know. I, I it's it's a weird exercise in vanity, thinking that all this stuff really matters. I think ultimately, it, ultimately, I think it'll be kind of cool to just have like one one comprehensive place where I could look and say like, all right, this is what I did at the beginning. Here's where I am at the end. It'll be easy to kind of scroll through all that stuff. But yeah, um, I guess I could just create a separate blog for that and not really worry about what Instagram really cares. But like well, uh, actually, as I'm talking I, about this out loud, I feel really, really self-conscious about no, like, no, my no, ego don't. now. It's, it's weird. Don't, not at all. I think, uh, I, well, first of all, uh, separate, like compartmentalizing those things is totally normal and appropriate, I think. I, like, you know, it's just a matter of personal preference. But Instagram is fantastic because of its discover feature, um, which has only gotten really good recently. Hasn't always been great, but... I have two, inst- well, technically I have three if I count the podcast Instagram, but my second kind of personal Instagram is an ongoing self-portrait project that I'm doing. Um, mm. And having a separate Instagram for that has been really helpful because I'm able to follow other art accounts and stuff that I'm interested in. So I have a completely separate feed because I... I got to this point on Instagram where I was like I'm following too many people and like I it felt like a chore to like get through everything that I wanted to see um so being able to compartmentalize like here's my personal Instagram here are the people that I follow that I care about that I want to see what they're doing and then here's this other art related Instagram where I can post this specific content but also browse this other specific content that I'm interested in, but not necessarily have to f- feel like I have to see all of it all of the time. At least not yet. I don't know if that'll happen, but 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I did, I guess to that end, I, I did, you know, on this other Instagram account, I did search on the crochet hashtag just to see who else is out there putting stuff out and followed a bunch of accounts just so I can mm-hmm. scroll through and see what is possible, even if I'm not necessarily going to be getting that far down the rabbit hole with it. So I, I do see benefits on that side of things. But I, I think maybe if I came at it from that angle, I'd feel a little bit better about it. But starting with the, I don't want to, do people care about what I'm posting, you know, doing it for the likes, all that kind of stuff. It, it feels kind of weird whenever you start to really think about some of the reasons for creating other accounts. So like in the grand, in grand scheme of things, I'm okay with what I've, what I've decided to do, but there is that weird part about like my fragile ego as far as, as far as the internet is concerned. And it shouldn't really be that important. I don't think. Yeah. No, the, I mean, uh, the internet, man, the internet. Um, yeah, yeah. I was going to say that it doesn't matter, but like at the same time it does and increasingly more so, but at the same time, none of it is real. I, I could go down a rabbit hole about that. I will refrain from doing so. So Uh, I know you saw this when I put, when I shared it a few hours ago, but like the internet is this really strange thing because like what's at white house going to look like mm -hmm. in a week. Mm-hmm. Just think about that. Listeners, think about that. What is that account going to look like? Because like I, right now, yeah. it's it's just like, okay, like, so right now it's tweeting about like the, the, the why why we should be supporting the Affordable Care Act and why Congress should not be trying to repeal it. But in a week, is it going to be just like the all caps nonsense from Donald Trump, but just somebody else doing it? Like, wh- what's going to happen? And like, do I unfollow the White House account? Because, like, generally speaking, it's I've, I've felt pretty good about, like, oh, hey, here's this big new announcement. And, yes, I'm following a bunch of journalists and stuff, and they're going to be reporting on it. But here's just, like, the regular link to WhiteHouse.gov, something, like, press release or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. But am I going to be getting that same kind of information from from Donald Trump's at White House Twitter account? Like, I, I, mean, I, I mean, it's a weird, silly question to ask, but I also feel like it's legitimate because, yeah. like, and because information is important, and Twitter has been his primary vehicle to whatever he's trying to accomplish. So what is that going to look like as, as political Twitter accounts are changing hands over the next week? Like, that's just, that's a really weird thing. Yeah. I mean, I, it obviously remains to be seen, but it is a very weird thing and it will be a very weird thing. Um, I think we're going to see some big changes to Twitter or at least how many people continue to use it or who continues to use it. And in what way? Um, obviously, Twitter has struggled with uh, profitability and such over the years, and like I'm not sure how sustainable it is. And because they drag their feet for so long on addressing the problems of abuse on the platform, um, and now we have an abuser in chief who uses it as his primary communication tool. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what Twitter is going to look like a year from now. You know, I don't know if I'm still going to be using Twitter a year from now, which is really unfortunate because I fucking love Twitter and I don't know how I would book the podcast otherwise. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I met my wife on Twitter. So like I am very grateful for what Twitter has afforded me, but also you know, harassment is a very real thing and it's not cool. And that is, no. you know, a tremendous understatement. But the fact that Twitter as as a general entity doesn't feel motivated enough to try and address this stuff in a more rapid fashion is very, very concerning. Yeah. Oh, wow. Harassment is not cool. 
Yeah. It's not cool. And uh, I, it's very frustrating because for years, women and people of color have been like, hey, this is a really big problem. And Twitter has done absolutely nothing about it. And it hasn't been until like extremely high profile white men have gotten, you know, a lot of Twitter abuse that they even have considered doing anything at all about it. And they're like the measures that they have taken, like banning specific people from the platform is just, oh God, it's just so frustrating. I mean, the, the shit that I see, like if I, I, I haven't done this in a while, but for a while, I if I saw a, a tweet from a, a relatively high-profile woman, I would click on it and just look at the replies. And there's a reason I haven't done that in a while because, like, the shit that people will say to women, like, for no fucking reason either, could just be like, oh, I had a great time at X doing Y today. Um, and, you know, they'll, they'll get all sorts of extremely, extremely hateful and inappropriate stuff. The other thing is like how many of, how much of that are people on the other end and how much of that are bots on the other end and how much of that are people posing as multiple people on the other end. Um, Cause that's a whole other thing that's really bananas about Twitter and the internet in general is just kind of like the illusion of I don't know where my brain is going with this um, well it's just that it can the internet can scale in a bunch of different directions and that mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily mean it can scale for good the right. fact that people can create um, or, or sort of um, take advantage of, of opportunities to sort of kind of create exponential harassment is mm -hmm. is a real problem and it's not to say that twitter has to have or social media you know these these companies have to have all the answers but the very least they could do is be more forthcoming about the fact that they recognize this as a problem and they're trying to fix it or they're trying to figure out how to fix it like i mean the, the big challenge that i see because i don't face nearly as much harassment as really anybody out there but you know it's but i see all this stuff and i try and wonder how i can be a better ally and advocate but whenever there's so there's so little transparency and communication from these platforms about the fact that harassment is a problem and about the fact that they're trying to figure it out. And it's, and, and, you know, like I respect that it's going to take a while for Twitter to figure out how to fix some of this stuff, but I don't know like what they're trying to address. I don't know how they're trying to address it. I don't even know that, that if they publicly recognize that this is a real problem, except for banning two or three people whenever things get super extreme. It shouldn't mm. have to get to these extremes for Twitter to be like, yo, we know this right. is a problem. We're working on it. Here, here, here are a list of the things that we're going to try and prioritize as we're implementing new tools, as we're, you know, as we're giving people access to more things to sort of curate their feed and report abuse and things like that. But that communication isn't coming out of Twitter. And as a result, people are just wondering or just leaving. Right. Yeah. And I've been thinking a lot about um, the weaponization of information. Um, which I think is, it's certainly not new, you know, pro propaganda has been around for centuries, but because we are living in the information age or whatever and have uh, an information economy and um, so much of our lives revolves around information, not just Twitter, not just Facebook, not just hacking, um, which 
people have a very limited understanding of that concept. Um, I mean, the, this whole thing with Russia and like whatever, um, I, I think, oh, shit, I don't remember what I was going to say, but um, I guess just it will be interesting to see how information is kind of used against us uh, during a Trump presidency. Because, uh, I mean, people don't realize how much our, how much information our digital footprint leaves and how unsecured that information often is and how, I don't know where I'm going. Uh, well, so did you see that one like familyhistory.com or there's some website that people are passing around saying that if you know somebody's zip code and yeah. like first and last name, you can dig up stuff from like the past 10 years of where they lived and who they dated and all this other weird stuff and like Including the opt out link. address, yeah. Yeah, and then like the opt out link is like buried in a terms of service thing that's like in like the in, like, I, I think like the hyperlink isn't even highlighted, so you have to like mouse over it to know that you can click on the word. It's just like the internet is. It's crazy. It, it is. Yeah. I mean, take for instance Facebook, and I I try to remind people of this as often as possible that like if you are getting something, if you're getting a service for free, you're not the customer, you know, like. You're the product, at least in the case of Facebook, that is very true because the way that Facebook makes their money is by selling you to advertisers and to uh, entities that are using Facebook to promote their information. Um, and we're just giving them, just giving it all away for free. I, I think less so, I don't know. It's kind of less so in certain ways and then more so in other ways than it was maybe a few years ago. Like at least people are- But this aren't... is why whenever you search for something on Amazon, you'll start seeing ads in your newsfeed and on your sidebar yeah. for it, which was really exciting for me when I was looking for yoga pants for my wife for Christmas. <laughs> and then all these strange things started coming. It's like, guys, calm down. I, it was it right. was a gift, seriously. Yeah. I mean, those algorithms, not totally there yet. Because if they were, they would know I already bought that thing. Um, but- but you may need to buy it again, obviously. Right. Yeah. Usually, uh, I mean, it especially spikes for me whenever I have to re-up on the cat food because then all of a sudden <laughs> it's like, oh, hey, we saw you buy you bought cat food. That stuff's going to expire. Your cats are going to eat it. You're going to need more, right? 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 Calm yeah. down, Amazon. I'll be back. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, do you listen to Reply All, the, the podcast? Uh, no. So it's a, it's a podcast from Gimlet Media about ostensibly about the internet but it's about all sorts of stuff because it is about the internet and it just kind of uses that as a gateway into other stuff um and they've done some really really interesting reporting on inform like just information um and the internet i <laughs> my, i feel like my brain is just like crumbling as i'm trying to speak but um, they did this really, really fantastic deep dive into Pizzagate, just kind of like explaining what it was and like what happened. And I'm not I'm not even going to try to explain it because it's bananas. Um, but they've done a lot of really fantastic kind of investigative reporting about. And also. uh uh, Note to Self, which is another podcast from WNYC, kind of about information in our lives and and 
they, I, I, I think, will be vital resources going forward as far as like privacy and, um, you know, there's just this whole const- constructed universes on the internet that like might just be one or two people behind them, you know, or like a very small group that seems like legions of people when it's really just concerted effort and or bots and algorithms, you know? Um, And I think for a lot of people, they don't necessarily care how it works or why it works. They just mm -hmm. care that it, that it works. Right. And, and, you know, I, to some extent, maybe may fall into that category for a few things, but, um, there, I, I, I think where you, where you, one conclusion I can draw from some of the topics that you just kind of raised is that there should be a baseline of understanding about how the internet works that yeah. I think that lar- largely pretty much everybody doesn't either understand or, or want to understand. And as a result, a lot of these things are, are happening. So like, you know, if you like, don't click on a link from an unknown sender, like that sort of stuff should be commonplace. Yeah. But just things basic are still happening. Information yeah. literacy which I come to from a background in media studies and screen studies. Um, Mm -hmm. I actually got like a pretty good foundational knowledge of the, the technology aspect of it, but then also like the implications of that technology and like how it's been shifting over the last 20 or so years um, that I mean, Oh God people have no idea how this shit works, you know? Um, and it's, it's, it's frustrating for me to see people put a lot of emphasis on certain things that are like very clearly just an algorithm or, um, like this whole thing about hacking, like people have such a limited idea of, of what that means. And it's not always the correct term to be using. Um, but it's the one kind of internet related term that most people recognize I think when it comes to uh illicit use of information um like everyone as opposed to Hugh Jackman thrusting the air and typing on nine monitors and from Swordfish (laughs) right yeah no I mean any almost any movie that you see that involves someone accessing information that they're not supposed to access it's like beep boop beep boop boop you know like furiously typing at a keyboard with all these command prompts and stuff like that and it's it's not always that you know sometimes it's all sorts of other stuff (laughs) i was going to elaborate more on that and it just dried up in my brain so obviously i should probably stop talking now um Nothing is real. Everything is terrible. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I don't know how you're going to edit this stuff together, honestly. I don't either. I I was I don't know. It might be another two months before I put it out. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have our bi-monthly check-in. It's like, oh, things are still bad. What else have you done to distract yourself from the flaming apocalypse that is our government and society? Yeah, yeah. That, that this is the podcast now. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, Christopher, if people want to find you, where should they look? Um, I don't know. Uh, let's see. Twitter at I am underscore Spartacus. I get a podcast, just talking podcast.com. Um, those are the two good ones. Everything else sort of cross post from here and there, but Twitter is probably the best place to start. And then 
Um, yeah, I don't know. There's a bunch of tumblers that I, I still monitor. Oh yeah, that's, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but that's that's here and there. Yeah. So Twitter, Twitter, and Instagram, and and listen to my podcast. Let me know what you think about it. Just talkingpodcast dot com. All right. Well, thank you for joining me once again. Uh... <laughs> we'll see you in two months and see what what else we can we can try and freak out about. Yeah, that sounds good. Ah. <laughs> we are so screwed. Yeah, I think we are. I really, I mean, oh my God. <laughs> Just high kicks and screaming, we are fucked. We are fucked. Well, thanks for listening to In Sickness and In Health. I'm sorry if this was a bummer again. Um, but that's just the world we live in now, I guess. Uh, so as always, uh, you can find resources and more from us at insectdispod.com. If you want to participate in the Disability March online, go to disabilitymarch.com. If you want to find a march happening near you, um, I think you can find all of the sister marches on womensmarch.com. Uh, and... Uh, yeah be excellent to yourselves and each other um now definitely more than ever and uh hopefully i'll talk to you soon be safe out there